Chapter Twenty Three of Smith, Journalist by P. G. Wodehouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Psuke Berea. Chapter Twenty Three Reductions in the Staff. The first member of the staff of Cosy Moments to arrive at the office on the following morning was Master Maloney. This sounds like the beginning of a plod and punctuality, or how great fortunes have been made story. But as a matter of fact, Master Maloney was no early bird. Larks who rose in his neighborhood rose alone. He did not get up with them. He was supposed to be at the office about nine o'clock. It was a point of honor with him, a sort of daily declaration of independence, never to put in an appearance before nine-thirty. On this particular morning he was punctual to the minute, or half an hour late, whichever way you choose to look at it. He had only whistled a few bars of My Little Irish Rose, and had barely gotten into the first page of his story on Life on the Prairie, when Kid Brady appeared. The Kid, as was his habit when not in training, was smoking a big black cigar. Master Maloney eyed him admiringly. The Kid, unknown to that gentleman himself, was Pugsy's ideal. He had come from the plains, and had indeed once actually been a cowboy. He was a coming champion, and he could smoke black cigars. It was, therefore, without his usual, well, what is it now, air, that Pugsy laid down his book and prepared to converse. "'Say, Mr. Smith or Mr. Windsor about Pugsy?' asked the kid. "'Nah, Mr. Brady, they ain't came yet,' replied Master Maloney respectfully. "'Late, ain't they?' "'Sure. Mr. Windsor generally blows in before I do.' "'Wonder what's keeping them?' "'Perhaps they'd been put out of business,' suggested Pugsy nonchalantly. "'How's that?' Pugsy related the events of the previous day, relaxing something of his austere calm as he did so. When he came to the part where the Table Hill allies swooped down on the unsuspecting three-pointers, he was almost animated. "'Say,' said the kid approvingly, "'that Smith guy's got more matter under his thatch than you'd think to look at him. I—' "'Comrade Brady,' said a voice in the doorway, "'you do me proud.' "'Why, say,' said the kid, turning, "'I guess the laugh's on me. I didn't see you, Mr. Smith. Pugsy's been telling me how you sent him for the Table Hills yesterday.' "'That was cute. That was mighty smart. "'But, say, those guys are going some, ain't they, now? "'Seems as if they was dead set on putting you out of business.' "'Their manner yesterday, Comrade Brady, "'certainly suggested the presence of some sketchy outline "'of such an ideal in their minds. "'One Sam, in particular, an ebony-hued sportsman, "'threw himself into the task with great vim. "'I rather fancy he is waiting for us with his revolver to this moment. "'But why worry?' Here we are, safe and sound, and Comrade Windsor may be expected to arrive at any moment. I see, Comrade Brady, that you have been matched against one Eddie Wood. It's about that I wanted to see you, Mr. Smith. Say, now that things have been brushed up so, what with these gang guys laying for you the way they're doing, I guess you be needing me around here, isn't that right? Say the word, and I'll call off this Eddie Wood fight. Comrade Brady, said Smith with some enthusiasm, I call that a sporting offer. I'm very much obliged. But we mustn't stand in your way. If you eliminate this comrade one, they will have to give you a chance against Jimmy Garvin, won't they? I guess that's right, sir, said the kid. And he stayed nineteen rounds against Jimmy, and if I can put him away, it gets me in a line with Jimmy, and he can't sidestep me. Then go in and win, comrade Brady. We shall miss you. It will be as if a ray of sunshine had been removed from the office. But you mustn't throw a chance away. We shall be all right, I think. I'll train at White Plains, said the kid. That ain't far from here, so I'll be pretty near in case I'm wanted. Hello. Who's here? He pointed to the door. A small boy was standing there, holding a note. Mr. Smith? Sir, to you, said Smith courteously. 
Peasmith? The same. This is your lucky day. Cop at Jefferson Market, give me dis to take dues. A cop in Jefferson Market? repeated Smith. I did not know I had friends among the constabulary there. Why, it's from Comrade Windsor. He opened the envelope and read the letter. Thanks, he said, giving the boy a quarter dollar. It was apparent the kid was politely endeavouring to veil his curiosity. Master Maloney had no such scruples. "'What's in the letter, boss?' he inquired. "'The letter, Comrade Maloney, is from our Mr. Windsor, and relates in terse language the following facts. That our editor last night hit a policeman in the eye, and that he was sentenced this morning to thirty days on Blackwell's Island.' "'He's the guy,' admitted Master Maloney approvingly. "'What's that?' said the kid. Mr. Windsor been punching cops. What's he been doing that for? He gives no clue. I must go and find out. Could you help Comrade Maloney mind the shop for a few months while I pushed round to Jefferson Market and make inquiries? Sure. But say, fancy Mr. Windsor cutting loose that way, said the kid admiringly. The Jefferson Market Police Court is a little way downtown near Washington Square. It did not take Smith long to reach it, and by the judicious expenditure of a few dollars, he was enabled to obtain an interview with Billy in a back room. The chief editor of Cozy Moments was seated on a bench, looking upon the world through a pair of much blackened eyes. His general appearance was disheveled. He had the air of a man who had been caught in the machinery. "'Hello, Smith,' he said. "'You got my note all right, then?' Smith looked at him, concerned. "'Comrade Windsor,' he said, "'What on earth has been happening to you?' "'Oh, that's all right,' said Billy. "'That's nothing.' "'Nothing? "'You look as if you'd been run over by a motor-car.' "'The cops did that,' said Billy, "'without any apparent resentment. "'They always turn nasty if you put up a fight. "'It was a fool to do it, I suppose, "'but I got so mad. "'They knew perfectly well I had nothing to do "'with any pool-room downstairs.' "'Smith's eyeglass dropped from his eye. "'Pool-room, Comrade Windsor?' "'Yes.' The house where I live was raided last night. It seems that some gamblers have been running a pool room in the ground floor. Why the cops should have thought I had anything to do with it when I was sleeping peacefully upstairs is more than I can understand. Anyway, at about three in the morning there was the dickens of a banging at my door. I got up to see what was doing and found a couple of policemen there. They told me to come along with them to the station. I asked what on earth for. I might have known it was no use arguing with a New York cop. They said they had been tipped off that there was a pool room being run in the house and that they were cleaning up the house, and if I wanted to say anything, I'd better say it to the magistrate. I said, all right, I'd put on some clothes and come with them. They said they couldn't wait about while I put on clothes. I said I wasn't going to travel about New York in pajamas and started to get into my shirt. One of them gave me a shove in the ribs with his nightstick and told me to come along quick. And that made me so mad I hid out. A chuckle escaped Billy. He wasn't expecting it, and I got him fair. He went down over the bookcase. The other cop took a swipe at me with his club, but by that time I was so mad I'd have taken on Jim Jeffries if he'd shown up and gotten my way. I just sailed in and was beginning to make the man think he had stumbled upon Stanley Ketchell or Kid Brady or a dynamite explosion by mistake when the other fellow loosed himself from the bookcase and they started in on me together, and there was General Roughhouse in the middle of which someone seemed to let off about $50,000 worth of fireworks all in a bunch, and I didn't remember anything till I found myself in a cell, pretty nearly knocked to pieces. That's my little life history." I guess I was a fool to cut loose that way, but I was so mad I didn't stop to think. Smith sighed. You have told me your painful story, he said. Now hear mine. After parting with you last night, I went meditatively back to my Fourth Avenue address, and, with a courtly good night to the large policeman who, as I have mentioned in previous conversations, is stationed almost at my very door, I passed on into my room and had soon sunk into a dreamless slumber. 
At about three in the morning I was aroused by a somewhat hefty banging on the door. What? A banging at the door, repeated Smith. There, standing at the mat, were three policemen. Uh, from their remarks I gathered that certain bright spirits had been running a gambling establishment in the lower regions of the building, where, I think I told you, there was a saloon, and the law was now about to clean up the place. Very cordially the honest fellows invited me to go with them. A conveyance, it seemed, waited in the street without. I pointed out, even as you appear to have done, that sea-green pajamas with old rose-frogs were not the costume in which a Shropshire smith should be seen abroad in one of the world's greatest cities. But they assured me, more by their manner than their words, that my misgivings were out of place, so I yielded. These men, I told myself, have lived longer in New York than I. They know what is done and what is not done. I will bow to their views. So I went with them, and after a very pleasant and cosy little ride in the patrol wagon, arrived at the police station. This morning I chatted a while with the courteous magistrate, convinced him by means of arguments, and by silent evidence of my open, honest face and unwavering eye, that I was not a professional gambler, and came away without a stain on my character. Billy Windsor listened to this narrative with growing interest. "'Gum! It's them!' he cried. "'As Comrade Maloney would say,' said Smith. "'Meaning what, Comrade Windsor?' "'Why, the fellows who were after that paper. They tipped the police off about the pool rooms, knowing that we should be hauled off without having time to take anything with us. I'll bet you anything you like they've been in and searched our rooms by now.' "'As regards yours, Comrade Windsor, I cannot say.' but it is an undoubted fact that mine, which I revisited before going to the office in order to correct what seemed to me, even on reflection, certain drawbacks in my costume, looks as if two cyclones and a threshing-machine had passed through it. They've searched it? With a fine-tooth comb. Not one of my objects of virtue but has been displaced. Billy Windsor slapped his knee. It was lucky you thought of sending that paper by post, he said. We should have been done if you hadn't. But say, he went on miserably, this is awful. Things are just warming up for the final burst, and I'm out of it all. For thirty days, sighed Smith, what cosy moments really needs is a sitz redacteur. A what? A sitz redacteur, comrade Windsor, is a gentleman employed by German newspapers with a taste for les majestés to go to prison whenever required in place of the real editor. The real editor hints in his bright and snappy editorial, for instance, that the Kaiser's moustache reminds him of a bad dream. The police force swoops down en masse on the office of the journal, and are met by the Sitzredakteur, who goes with them peaceably, allowing the editor to remain and sketch out plans for his next week's article on the Crown Prince. We needed a Sitzredakteur on cosy moments, almost as much as the fighting editor, and we have neither. The kid has to leave, then? He wants to go into training at once. He has very sportingly offered to cancel his match, but of course that would never do. Unless you consider Comrade Maloney equal to the job, I must look around me for someone else. I shall be too fully occupied with purely literary matters to be able to deal with chance callers. But I have a scheme. What's that? It seems to me that we are allowing much excellent material to lie unused in the shape of Comrade Jarvis. Bat Jarvis the same, the cat specialist to whom you endeared yourself somewhat earlier in the proceedings by befriending one of his little wandering animals. Little deeds of kindness, little acts of love, as you have doubtless heard, help, etc. Should we not give Comrade Jarvis an opportunity of proving the correctness of this statement? I think so. Shortly after you, if 
you will forgive me for touching on a painful subject, have been hailed off to your dungeon, I will push round to Comrade Jarvis's address and sound him on the subject. Unfortunately, his affection is confined, I fancy, to you. Whether he will consent to put himself out on my behalf remains to be seen. However, there is no harm in trying. If nothing else comes of the visit, I shall at least have had the opportunity of chatting with one of our most prominent citizens. A policeman knocked on the door. "'Say, pal,' he remarked to Smith, "'you'll have to be fading away soon, I guess. "'Give you three minutes more. "'Say it quick.' He retired. Billy leaned forward to Smith. "'I guess they won't give me much of a chance,' he whispered. "'But if you see me around in the next day or two, "'don't be surprised.' "'I fail to follow you, Comrade Windsor. "'Men have escaped from Blackwell's Island before now. "'Not many, it's true, but it has been done.' Smith shook his head. "'I shouldn't.' he said. They're bound to catch you, and then you will be immersed in the soup beyond hope of recovery. I shouldn't wonder if they put you in your little cell for a year or so. I don't care, said Billy Stoutlet. I give a year later on to be around and about now. I shouldn't, urged Smith. All will be well with the paper. You have left a good man at the helm. I guess I shan't get a chance, but I'll try if I do. The door opened and the policeman reappeared. Time's up, I reckon. "'Well, good-bye, Comrade Windsor,' said Smith, regretfully. "'Abstain from undue worrying. "'It's a walk-over from now on, "'and there's no earthly reason for you to be around the office. "'Once, I admit, this could not have been said. "'But now things have simplified themselves. "'Have no fear. "'This act is going to be a scream from start to finish.'" End of chapter 23 of Smith Journalist